here we are. Another episode. We're, I don't know, we're in the 20s now. I'm, I'm impressed we've made it this long. We're in the 20s. And it, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we, as we were trying to think of uh, the next topic, we keep telling ourselves, well, eventually we'll run out of topics. But I'm thinking with biocompatibility, you just, you don't run out of topics. You know. Not in today's world. Not in today's world no. at all. So, yeah. So today we have our guest is Melissa Cataray, and she's one of our colleagues from NAMSA. She's the Director of Global Compliance and Process Improvement at NAMSA. She's been here for a number of years, and she's been the Director of Analytical Services as well as Biocompatibility Laboratory Operations globally. Lots of experience and especially some real experience in the in vitro laboratory and she sits on the ISO committee for cytotoxicity, which is what we're talking about today. The cyto failure. Dun, dun, dun. There it is. Dun, 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 right? <laughs> so anyway, enjoy today's episode. We get into a little bit about cyto, what they're good for, what they're not good for, and um, a little bit in between. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focus on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Okay, welcome to a new episode of Biocompatibility. Don, I think that it was time we bring another NAMSA colleague on with us. And one that has worked here longer than me, maybe longer than you? No. No. Not longer than you. No. Do, do people exist that have worked here longer than you, Don? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of them. <laughs> There's plenty of them. Uh, anyway, we have Melissa Cattery joining us today. Melissa, thanks for joining Biocompatibility. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. The first test is if you can say Biocompatibility. We're not really going to test me on that, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Nope, uh, you passed. You, you yeah, refused yeah, to take the yeah. test. That's that's a pass automatically. Yeah, so, you'll get invited back now. Yeah, Ooh, anytime. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the ever interesting, the ever elusive, the ever complicated cytotoxicity test. And, you know, we were, Don and I were talking about topics, things that we need to consider. And he's like, have we ever done the what do we do if a cyto fails topic? And I said, you know, we haven't. And when we do our custom trainings all over the world, this is probably one of the biggest challenges that people bring to us. Yeah, I think this is the topic that makes me go over on time when I'm doing presentations on Biocom. At least it's going to be my excuse. But anyway. It could be. It could be. It could be. <laughs> yeah. So cytotoxicity is in ISO 10993-5. And we are going to address some of the challenges. And, and Melissa's joining us because she's been in the laboratory for years and she managed the in vitro laboratory for years. So we know she's seen a lot of cytotoxicity failures. And so that's why we chose it as a topic and we chose her. It certainly exactly. is one of the most common failures. Absolutely. So how common is it, Melissa? I would say we genuinely see at least some cytotoxicity failure weekly depending upon the various types of assays, sometimes at a greater frequency, depending upon the types of devices that are coming in at any given time, and, and also depending upon maybe what our clients are looking for. You know, a lot of our clients use these as screening assays to changes to their process. 
You know, others are obviously for submission purposes, but we generally see cyto failures weekly. Right. And I remember, Don, I remember when an old colleague used to explain it. He's like, cytotoxicity isn't really an endpoint, you know, because we talk about the table being mm-hmm. biological endpoints. He's just like, he's like, it's not really an endpoint. It's a screen, like Melissa just mentioned. And so I guess probably maybe we should talk about what's a general overview of a cytotoxicity test and why it's not like, I've had some people come to me and say, I need to do cytotoxicity for my submission. And I'm like, what else? And they just think cytotoxicity is like this big screen for all toxicity. So Don, tell us what it really does. Well, it doesn't do. (laughs) You know, I always think of it as, as like the only, in your like battery of tests, if you're thinking of it as a table approach, table A.1, whatever document you're looking at. You know, it's the only like biological effect listed that really gets thought of as an overall screen for biocompatibility because that's what it's thought of as doing. But to your point, like, you know, your colleague from days past was talking about, it doesn't really address like an endpoint per se that's, you know, 100% biologically relevant to an endpoint you would find in a person after exposure to a device. So I always think of it too. It's like, you know, you look at an MSDS sheet and you look mm-hmm. at hazard codes and stuff like that. You'll see hazard codes for irritation, sensitization, hazard codes for reproductive developmental toxicity, systemic toxicity. When's the last time you saw a cytotox hazard code on your MSDS? It's like, no, you don't see that there. So it's thought of as being this sensitive screen for biocompatibility in vitro, a place to start. It is viewed as being ultra sensitive. Hence, maybe the reason we so see so many cyto failures <laughs> happening on a weekly basis. And then it is what it is, and it is what it's not. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a screen for biocompatibility, but doesn't mean that your sensitization test is going to pass. Mm, no. Um, right. Doesn't mean that your irritation test is going to pass. Maybe, maybe not. So, yeah, there's all the faith that you put in your cytotox test. Sometimes when it comes down to it, you know, that direct correlation to all these other endpoints might certainly not be there. But as an in vitro test, if there is something coming out of your device, the hope is, is that Cyto will be sensitive enough to catch it. It it just won't tell you that it's an irritant that came out, a systemic toxin, the sensitizer, something just came out. It won't even tell you, obviously, what it was. And if it fails, yeah, I guess it might mean something. It may mean nothing. And that's kind of the frustration, I would say, too. And it, that comes up when somebody fails biocomp, especially if, if they put all their eggs in one basket and that's all they had was Cyto. That was the answer to all of our issues with Cyto. Oh, it failed. <laughs> if, it, if it were just that easy, right? I can't yeah, imagine, exactly. you know, you know, basing your evaluation solely on a Cyto. I know we Right. (laughs) But I I think we've had people come to us and expect that to be the case. So, and I meant to look this up. What year was part five updated last? Do we know? Was it? It hasn't been for a while. 2009, I think. So, Melissa, I think you were on the ISO. You were on that that committee. Are you still on part five? Or I know you've kind of done some rotation. I am. Nope. I I still um, am one of the experts on on the working group five um, for 1093-5. We're actually, we just met this morning, actually yesterday. I couldn't oh. remember. Time changes. 
especially <laughs> just met yesterday because we're reviewing some additional comparative studies right now. So we're evaluating some of the assays that are currently in the annex, including the MMM elution, and, and going to be doing some comparative studies over the next year or so. So it, it will be interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> Does the working group find Saito as useless as some of us do? <laughs> you said that out loud, Sherry. Uh, all to hear. Uh, it is a mix. So you have, you know, true <laughs> cellular sure. experts on the group. And then you also still have a, a mix of some toxicologists and some consultants that may find it as invaluable uh, as what we've been talking about. <laughs> Maybe that's I've been skewed by toxicologists. That's probably what's happened. I I listen to them, have them in my ear all the time. I think it's the reality of what you glean from this test. And I I think, you know, Don really hit that. It's the relevant. I mean, it it is just a screen. It it is what it is and it isn't what it isn't. Is that what you said, Don? I don't think I got your quote. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I should have wrote that down. Eventually, I'm going to have to put the quote in the. In the description of this episode, I should have wrote it down. I think so. <laughs> Whatever I said, it was quasi quasi quotable, Sherry. So quasi. yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of talked about what does it mean? So I get a favorable result for Sido. It really means that, yep, I have that report that's favorable. I can submit. Doesn't tell me a lot more than that. So on the flip side, if I don't get a favorable report from a Sido. What does that mean? I think, Don, you used to have a question in the training that says, is it the end of the road if I fail Sido or something like that? What does it mean if I don't get a favorable score? Well, that's the (laughs) thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand million dollar question, depending, I think. I mean, again, I think part of the answer to that question is going to be your other supportive information that you have on your device. So. And I mean, that's not just test data. I mean, that's certainly going to be part of it. Do you have other studies, especially in vivo data, to offset the in vitro finding? That's kind of like the classic concept um, that comes up. But I think it's also going to be, what do you know about your materials, your manufacturing processes that go into your device? And, you know, is what you just saw in this one test truly shocking or was it expected? I think I, me, that's kind of the gut check place to start because, yeah, it might have been expected. I mean, you can get pretty good at predicting cytotox. I, I agree with you. You you can be pretty good about predicting cytotox, but yet I still am surprised occasionally at the frequency at which some of the people we work with are surprised. Um, and I think it's really kind of getting to that information once you have that cyto failure to really identify and, and get the right information to help them essentially identify what the culprit is. Yeah. So does the guidance and, and, give any direction on what you do? I think, Don, you mentioned there's a clause in the guidance that, that mentions what you do, or standard. It's not a guidance. Sorry, standard. Is that useful? Yeah. I mean, it gives you some options. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Options. Melissa, I hope you didn't write it um, because... <laughs> I, I did not write that part, no. <laughs> no offense there. Yeah, it's it's clause ten assessment of results, and so that's our, okay. you know, that's our kind of go to section. But the sections all of like you know, say a paragraph or so long, and and I guess you know the ending statement: any cytotoxic effect can be of concern. However, its primary indication of potential 
for in vivo toxicity, and the device cannot necessarily be determined to be unsuitable for a given clinical application based solely on cytotox data. I've quoted that little couple of sentences umpteen times when writing justifications for cytotox failures that were then followed with in vivo testing that is endpoint specific. And they, you know, the in vivo studies passed. So apparently the cytotoxicity study didn't really predict anything from that point of view. But if you end it there and you submit it to a regulator, that's like probably half the story to some degree. Maybe it's a little bit more than half. But you, you got to have some type of attempt at root cause analysis in the background to support those couple of sentences out of clause 10 of part five, which that can be the most frustrating experience that you'll ever go through in biocomp, especially for a simple device um, that passed everything else and failed this, this study. And when it wasn't able to be predicted based on materials that it was even going to fail. Yeah. Is it a warning? Like, should you? I know the answer to this, I think. Well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Like, it doesn't mean like it's a warning for anything else or that you're going to be harmful in any of the in vivo models because, again, we're screening something, as my old colleague used to say, that has no immune system, so it can't protect itself. I think the only benefit you may get from a, a cyto, yes, it could be uh, indicative of something. Um, I think some of the attributes that may be beneficial, particularly to some of the in vivo models, is if you're seeing like a pH shift or, mm. you know, something atypical following an extract that may help you, you know, at least prepare and, and modify some things for your in vivo testing so you don't encounter some difficulties. That would be the only additional information I could see potentially getting from the cyto study. Go ahead, Don. So I shouldn't, so I shouldn't just stop everything and redesign my product, basically. <laughs> no, you should not. <laughs> okay, good. Thank I would you. say not. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, and I, I was just kind of going along that same lines. You might push pause for a quick day or so if your cyto fails, but then you look into, like I say, like Melissa said, the, the, any pH changes, things like that, that might, been, might have caused the failure, but also things that are just kind of saying, hey, what you just tested is an ocular product and you're going to do an ocular irritation study next and there was a pH shift and you did fail cyto, yeah, probably not the best thing to go jumping right into your ocular irritation study where you're going to dose it, you know, in vivo-wise. So I don't know. I mean, the number of times that actually plays out <clears throat> in compared to the number of times you fail cyto, that scenario, I would say, does not pan out weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I would agree with you. So. so there's common things that I know that, Melissa, that that we know are going to cause challenges with CYTO. Yet, I think regulators expect them to be tested, except for with this new FDA guidance that we talked about in our last episode about Intex skin. You know, you might be able to avoid testing your spandex if it's, <laughs> if it's, if it qualifies for all the other things. But what are some of the most common things? that, you know, people can look out for and go, okay, I know this could be a challenge. Let me work with my laboratory and figure out a, the right approach for my cyto test. Yeah, I, I would definitely say, you know, copper, antimicrobials really wreak havoc, you know, and, and contribute to a lot of cytotoxicity failures. Some of your residues from your cleaning and, and processing um, aspects are huge culprits. 
anytime you're getting into potential curing, um, particularly with testing those in situ, can be complications. Yeah, latex-containing products, probably a good run on, on some of the, the really common known culprits. Don, do you have any others to add? You know, that's, I mean, that's the, well, I guess active ingredients themselves, other than antimicrobial. If you have a drug mm-hmm. in there, <laughs> and some of the drugs that you know, come along with devices are pretty, are intentionally cytotoxic. I mean, they're going <laughs> to, yeah, that's. They're, they're meant to kill bugs. So Yeah, or, or, or other <laughs> things. Or other um, things, yeah. So yeah, there can be things like that. But I mean, those are like that, that list that you just mentioned, Melissa, are kind of like the, the ones that you can sort of predict if you know about them. I guess that's you mm-hmm. know, the key, key thing is, is knowing about them. I, I mean, I've been in situations with like the spandex thing where, you know, you just kind of like tell somebody up front, look, this is going to fail. So be prepared. Don't freak out. Make sure the study that you do has got dilutions in it so that you can see when it mm-hmm. passes. And, and then we'll mention what the material is, how common it is, the type of exposure. In today's world for FDA, once the guidance on skin contacting devices comes out, then maybe that'll go away as a concern. But, but I, I mean, I've seen, you know, spandex, lycra, those types of things. I mean, raise like 50 questions as if they were <laughs> worst ever, you know, and you knew it was going to happen. That's the frustrating. You're like, oh, right. it's going to fail. <laughs> this is probably a really loaded question, but do you think um, regulators commonly misinterpret the value or what a CIDO is really telling us, why they might get so concerned about seeing it and, and give us all those questions. Like, is there maybe that misconception that they have, like some customers have, like, this is some grandiose answer all of our prayers type of test. Do you, I mean, do you think there's some misunderstanding as to its value? I know it's an opinion and we don't want to... <laughs> No one's, mine. Mine. no one's I answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who's going to go? I, the fifth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think there's always an opportunity, you know, for that to occasionally happen. And then I think there are some, I think a lot of times when you do see something and it maybe isn't well explained, you know, I think, Don, you really hit on, you know, the root cause for that. And if that isn't answered appropriately, I think that also prompts additional questions. What if I just yeah. skip it? If I know I'm a spandex and I know I'm going to fail, I can't just skip it. Probably not. I, you know, I, I, I've wanted to until I asked the question <laughs> to a regulator and said, can I just skip it? I was given the answer. No, you can't. Well, you can't. So interesting. You shouldn't. The answer was you shouldn't. You shouldn't. <laughs> so you can do whatever you want. It's just Strong rationale, I, mean, I guess. It's, it's, it's just a standard. You don't have to follow it. You got a better <laughs> idea. Just ignore it. This is true. Um, (laughs) They're all just suggestions, right? They're all just suggestions. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned planning for dilutions. I, you know, explain that. What does that look like? Whoever wants to explain it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the simple one that I always get, the MEM elution study usually is done on 100% concentration extract post extraction. And so you can just basically serial dilute, you know, take that, cut it one to two, one to four, one to eight, one to 16, one to 32. And see if it passes at one of those. But, and then this, you know, elution study is the easy one. But I think um, mm-hmm. some of those studies, the county assay, Melissa, and others have dilutions built right into them for you as, as they're set up. They do. Yeah, we, we definitely have at least two or three assays that already have dilution series. 
accounted for. So MTT, a more quantitative assay, as well as the colony assay you mentioned. So it would already know at what concentration you were or were not seeing some type of toxicity. Yeah, and that's, that's I mean, FDA speaks about it in their biocompatibility guidance because they, they mention if you have a known cytotoxic material that you should include a study that has serial dilution. So you basically just, mm -hmm. you know, when it passes. The, the little frustrating part about that, though, is is that if it passes at 1 to 16, yeah, it passes at 1 to what 16. What does that mean? Right. What does You're that right. mean? Yeah, translating that to uh, yeah, a, a concentration or something that is relevant is absolutely, yeah, very difficult. Thing. Yeah, especially if it Unless wasn't caused by a, a, an active. You know, correct. That's right. what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, start like, combinations okay. of things. It's different, right? Yeah. Are yeah. combinations of things more like where I just have might have one material that's okay, but I put it with something else that I might have an issue? Is that I think you mentioned that maybe that that combination of materials together could cause some some challenges at times. Yeah. I well, and I guess I I think of that from the nightmares where. A company failed Cyto said they said, okay, we're going to take all 32 materials that are in our device and find the root cause. Well, might not work out like that. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. So that might not be the best approach to figuring out what the cause was. Got it. So what yeah. else? Is there anything else? Something highly suspected. Um, right. But yes. Generally speaking, yeah, taking your individual components is probably not the best approach. Yep. Unless. And then sometimes you got to think about if you think you know what the smoking gun, you know, you know what it is. What if it's not? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. as I always said, before you do a test, consider both outcomes, passing and failing. And if you think it's going to mm -hmm. answer your question because it fails and it passes, oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> 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 but that does, I mean, it just, again, it, it may take more than one material to fail the side of. Maybe a combination of things. Who knows? You could have the light, a, a light chemical coming out of three things, and together they fail by themselves. They they pass, as as one of our toxicologists used to say before we retired. You know, the solution is dilution, whether it be you know serial diluting or whether it be diluting by more than one material being present or a bunch of things being there. So, and and this is kind of the kind of the overall conundrum that you get yourself into when you're trying to chase down the frustrating cytotox failure. I mean, you could spend days, uh, months trying to find root cause. And, right. and at the end, you didn't find root cause. I don't know. So, yeah, I know that some people have said, well, let's do chemical characterization. Let's look at our extractions and figure out what the cause is. And I think you mentioned there, you may not get it clear. You might find everything that came out of it but there might not be any information anywhere that tells you any of that is going to cause a cyto response. Yeah, that's, and I guess, Melissa, I mean, can you remember a situation where, where part 18 chemical characterization gave you the answer to something you saw in the in vitro lab? <laughs> <laughs> um, generally, no. I would say that typically doesn't work. And, and, you know, we could get into extraction, the difference in media, and, you know, and that you can't really put, the same True. media on, you know, the analytical instrumentation. So there is some differences there. I can think of one time, Don, that it actually showed like a single elevated concentration of 
something, and that could have contributed to the cytotoxicity failure. So one time out of 20 or so years um, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> that I'm aware of, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it definitely is, is a challenge. You're correct. Well, we've only been doing, you know, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> and I only say that well, because it, I've been here 18 years and we, mm-hmm. I remember learning about characterization pretty much right away. So Maybe maybe if you include pH determination, osmolarity determination as part of characterization, it might go up. There you a go. But you yeah, go. I mean, you're no, talking like correct. your most basic stuff. There. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and most of the cyto methods that are used for devices, I don't know, I don't know if it's most of them, are more of a qualitative, right? So these are based on technicians scoring, looking at at cells. But there are some quantitative assays as well. Probably not the there most are. common. I think it's, you know, really depending upon the area that you're doing your work for. So obviously in Europe or outside of U.S., quantitative methods are more widely used. Um, whereas in the, in the U.S., we do standardly a, a lot of the isolution uh, method is, is our, which is semi-quantitative. Um, it does about in, involve trained associates, you know, microscopically sure. evaluating for cellular characteristics. And we do fewer of the quantitative methods. That's correct. Is a quantitative method ever a solution for if you fail a qual- semi-quantitative? I don't Boy, know. I, I should see the no idea on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I don't even know if that's an answerable you know, <laughs> question. <laughs> I think it's the idea of is one test better or more sensitive or least sensitive than another. Um, and there's just enough difference between some of the quantitative methods and the elution method. So there's some correlation, but, you know, with the variations in the duration, you know, of extraction, the exposure at which, you know, the, the extract is exposed, exposed to the cells, the evaluation aspect, and even the cell line differences, it's really hard to, to make any any stance on that. Now, there are some published articles out there that have done some comparison work, and they've looked at, you know, which cell line may or may not be less or more sensitive, and that's published, but it's not really accounted for in the, in the standards. Right. Don, anything else as far as um, that you wanted to cover on cyto failures, what we do, what we expect, what we don't do, what it's worth, yeah, what it's not worth? Yeah. You know, and I think about it, I, I just, it's one of those studies where you definitely, you want to look at all the details in your report because there certainly may be some observations in the, in the meat of the report that tell you something about what you saw in the summary or the conclusion. And two, you know, FDA points this out in their biocompatibility guidance, but it's not just true for the FDA, you know, that from this qualitative scheme of things that we've been talking about, you know, there's this threshold of a grade of two or less is like basically thought of as okay. And again, you know, you, you got to, if you get a grade one and it's, you know, a piece of polyethylene that <laughs> might just raise some eyebrows, even if, you, and then if you get a grade two, I mean, that's even worse. So, you know, kind of, you got to basically look at things, even if what you're seeing will lead you to believe that it's okay, which in the end, it may be anyways. You just got to make sure that you don't leave any stone unturned, if you will, when it comes to Cyto, because um, a pass, per se, might not be a pass at the end. That's a really good point. 
Yeah. All right. Melissa, anything else before we move on to uh, the fun part? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think I have anything else. All right. Well, I mean, it's a a tiny little test, but we probably could talk about it in in great length. I've definitely experienced people talk about it in great length. So, (laughs) all right. It's time for two truths and a lie. Don, even though you keep trying to call it three truths and a lie, it's still only two. But, um, (laughs) you know, you try to make it harder on us every week. Uh, You want to go first? Sure. Sure. I'm I'm just thinking through what I wrote down here so that I could. uh... So, yeah. So two of these are true. One of them's a lie. But basically, of the three things I list out, I basically would use sight of in two of the three situations. So that's my two truths (laughs) and a lie. Okay. Whether Saito so, is the answer is okay. Yeah, they all involve, involve Saito. Yeah. So, okay. Anyways, number one, as a planned screen before every implant study, you know, I'd consider cytotoxicity testing. Okay. Devil's in the details there. So, next situation, use Saito along with chemical characterization as a way to introduce a biological screen to an otherwise chemistry based evaluation. It's a long okay. statement. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Come on, these are rooted in, you know, stuff you see I, every day, right? I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, third, I'd use Saito as an in vitro screen before in vivo testing has actually been dosed. Okay. I'm going with number one is the lie because you use the word every implant study. <laughs> I'm going to go with, oh, I, I did was thinking, you know, one, but for some reason, I want to say three. See, it's tricky between because one and three. Number two dose. is obvious, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Number yeah. two is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was number one because I used the okay. word planned as a planned screen before every implant study. Like you actually plan to do Cyto. It just naturally happens. Let's be honest. Okay. Nobody plans on it. It just happens well, when you send your testing to the lab. What happens first? Saito. Saito. Right. <laughs> and so as we were talking about, you could stop things. But the and third one. threw in the dose. Yeah. 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 So, well, so I was thinking dose. every because I might be doing a two week, a four week and a oh, six week. But I'm not going to do a Saito before each one of them. So that was where I I picked it up that it was a lie. So if you would have told me that one was true, I was ready to call you out on it. <laughs> and then there's going to be situations where you don't do Saito. You just do implant. Right. It happens. I've done it before because I didn't need Saito. I needed implant data. I didn't need (laughs) Saito data. I needed (laughs) implant data. But anyways. All right. All right, Melissa, you want to go next? Sure. So based on a failed cytotoxicity result, a client suggested a label claim that the product had chemotherapeutic properties. That's my first one. My second one is um, detergents used during a cleaning process should be tested for cytotoxicity. And then my last one is frequently interacting with clients that want to test all components of the device, even those not in contact with the patient for a worst case scenario. Those are my three. Mm, 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 mm. Can I answer in a way that says I would, I hope number three is a lie? <laughs> <laughs> Hope number three is a lie. We know no. that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it is the truth. 
It's so the as truth. As much as I try, I almost wonder if I'm just not good at convincing um, <laughs> or you know providing the right information for that conversation. I'm going number two is the lie. Yeah, that's where I was at too. Uh, after I failed with you know hoping for three, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is number two is the lie. Well, you could. It's you could. Generally, we have it. It kind of gets to that failure aspect. Um, when yep. it fails, we have clients that then want to just say, well, let me just send in all these detergents. And you're like, no, 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 no. hold up. <laughs> That's not going to help you um, with this for several reasons. All right. My turn. Mine are not very good this time. I've got <laughs> to we'll either remember you. more things or just start making up a bunch of lies because I'm running out. So uh, number one, I have never performed a cytotoxicity test myself. Number two. I've listened to Don talk about Cyto for 45 minutes straight. Number three, I have had a customer offer me a shot of silver to drink when I was visiting them. I'm going to say number one. Is the lie? I think that's the lie. Don, what do you think? I think you've listened to Don for 45 minutes straight on Saito. See, I just can't, I can't remember if it was Saito. No, it had to be Saito. Yeah, that's probably happened before. I was wanting number two not to be true. I wanted two to be the lie this time. But I want what, number three to be a lie. That's true, too. <laughs> what did I tell you as number one? The, oh, the, that I've never performed it? Never performed a Saito. Yeah. So um, the lie is actually number two. I have listened to somebody talk 45 minutes straight about Saito, but it was not Don. It was our good friend, <laughs> Dave Parenti. <laughs> Thank goodness. Whew. There we go. Shout out to Dave. You've performed yes. a Saito before? Wow. I no, that was the that. No, I've never. The, see, the statement oh, was I've okay. never performed a Saito. So that's true because I've okay. never done one. I remember helping pour one during training, but I didn't think that counted. Um, okay. But yeah, no, it was not Don. So shout out to our old colleague, Dave Perini. He's about to retire. Uh, we were at a customer in the Memphis area doing a training, and literally he rambled on for 45 minutes straight about a Saito. And I'm like, dude, we're way off schedule now because he just <laughs> kept going and kept going and kept going. And he loves the, he loves the Saito. So anyway, shout out to Dave. He probably won't listen, but we could tell him to listen. So anyway, <laughs> thank you, Melissa. Thanks for joining us. It's been fun. Thank you. You're a, you're now an official that nobody gets gifts for attend for being on our no show. Badges. Um, no badges. I keep no thinking awards, I'm going to start no getting gifts. No awards, no trophies. I need to order <laughs> some. That would be a really nice thing for us to do for these people like that help us out. Microphone. Oh, yeah. I was going to get a pin that says like honorary biocompatibility host. Maybe that's nice. I'll be looking so, for that. Anyway, I like the golden microphone <laughs> idea, though. That's a really good idea. So anyway, thank you very thank much. You again. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast.